Hello, ladies and gentlemen, damas y caballeros. Welcome to a long overdue episode two of season two of Los Políticos. Bienvenidos. It'll be September 15th, 2021 by the time you hear this. And welcome to Hispanic Heritage Month. And as usual, we have Joel Alvarado, New Yorican progressive, Afro-Latino government affairs consultant who once called Brooklyn home, but now is a proud Southerner. We have Senator Jason Anavitarte. He is the senator from District 31 in Paulding County, all-star Republican and part of the Trump Latino Advisory Committee for 2020. And myself, Chris Perlera, a Salvadoran, Guanaco, if you will, transplant by way of Massachusetts, then Athens, Georgia, and a founder of Critical Point Consulting Strategic Partnerships and Messaging Firm. So let's get started. We usually have guests, but today is a very unique episode and it's been a while and we're celebrating our return to normalcy, restarting this passion project of ours. So we'll be talking about why we needed to take a break and what we've been up to and why it was important for us to continue this project and especially the reminder of Hispanic Heritage Month. So next up is Joel. I guess the first thing I should ask is, is Jason, so what did you advise Trump on regarding being on the Latino Well, you saw those historic gains that President Trump had. And I mean, I mean, obviously what we advised him was, was right. Cause I mean, between inflation and Afghanistan and everything going on in the world right now, I mean, I mean, the, the guy should still be president. So. Okay. On that note, let me just go on to, let me go on to. Lord have mercy on that. Talking points on points. <laughs> yes. Let me get back to the script. Um, so as a, as a New Yorker, um, you know, we just had just had the uh, marking of the 20th anniversary of September 11th. So just want to take a minute to just acknowledge all the heroes and heroines who bravely fought in order to ensure that people were able to be safe out of harm's way. I've had family that was directly impacted by that. So it's very personal to me. I worked in the World Trade Center. I was a janitor in the World Trade Center. So there were people who I worked with who uh, were there uh, who may have lost their lives, who may, whose family members may have lost their lives. So I just want to send prayers and condolences and thoughts and positive energy to all those who were affected by 9-11. The one thing that I do remember more than anything else, that was a time when we really came together as a country and we really were one America. And I hope even in the midst of all that trans transpiring now, that we can remember that we are all Americans and we should be working together for a common cause and not walking, working against one another um, because nothing benefits from that, especially our country. So um, September 11th, let's never forget. Let's make sure it never happens again. I was just in New York, literally uh, less than 24 hours ago from this recording. And, you know, of course, there were there were a lot of uh, remembrance ceremonies. It was both a a somber mood, but also, you know, remembering that we've um, we've rebuilt since then. And, you know, the 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 uh, the homages to, you know, just folks that, you know, lost their lives and, and the folks that uh, dedicate their lives every day to keeping us safe. Um, you know, some for some of us, these issues are much closer to home, especially, you know, a lot of our Latin American diaspora that comes from civil war. You know, mm -hmm. we the safety that we experience here is unparalleled. Uh, and that that day is was a reminder that every piece of safety is something that you have to fight for. Uh, so. Amen. Amen. Jason, you want to jump in? Yeah, I mean, it's it's just crazy. Um, I mean, on this 20th anniversary, just think where the world's at. And I know we'll, we'll talk about foreign policy later, but um, I just remember one of my one of my neighbors was actually in one of the Trade Center buildings when it came down, um, a veteran uh, retired. New York firefighter down here and so many of his his brethren who passed away and every time I see Tim here in the neighborhood or just around it just reminds me every day of the sacrifices folks like him and so many so many others around just New York around the country and around the world kind of faced um you know since since that time so it's 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 pretty humbling I never forget I was in the I was in the equitable building watching it all unfold on TV and got a phone call and said you know hey let's you know, you, it's time to evacuate and get out of here. And cause you know, we didn't know what was going on. So. Right, right, right. You know, uh, I was just thinking our, our episode one was right before the legislative session. And we were lucky to have uh, Greg Bluestein from AJC. And I thought it was a really good um, conversation we had with him. Just kind of 
thinking about what was going to happen. Um, and it was it was exciting for all of us. You know, it was another year where I working with Ohio River South, uh, representing various clients at the state legislature. It was going to be um, the first year for for our boy Jason to be a state senator, the first mm -hmm. Puerto Rican uh, Republican to serve in the state Senate. And, you know, just all that transpired with that. And so it was it was a interesting session. I'm sure um, each of us have our own perspective from it. Um, especially Jason being in the mix. But uh, for me, you know, of course, uh, I, I would, I've been doing this for a while now, and it always seems to be one issue that emerges and really takes the, um, the attention uh, for that session, right? And of course, that was election law, and, and specifically SB 202, which became the Election Integrity Act. Um, but there were other pieces of legislation that I thought were meaningful that came that came out of the session that people should not forget. Um, for instance, um, the passage of citizens, the passage of repealing the citizens, citizens arrest statute. That was a bipartisan piece of legislation where Democrats and Republicans worked together in order to ensure that um, a statute that derived from the from from around the Civil War um, was removed from the books and couldn't be used in order to um, to detain somebody against their will. And so we all know about Ahmaud Arbery um, down in Brunswick. And that was the argument that the individuals who killed him tried to make that they were they were um, enforcing that statute. So I'm glad that legislators were able to get together and do something about that. Another thing that I think is really important was the 30 million investment the governor made in rural broadband. Um, I think COVID-19 made us realize that things are not equal regarding our infrastructure. And I'm glad that somebody willing to take the lead and figure out how to um, ensure that all people had access to services that some of us take for granted. The last thing I'll just kind of lift up is uh, the parental paid leave um, for about 250,000 state employees in Georgia. I think that's incredible and that's putting families first and that's giving people the opportunity to continue to take care of their family even um, while they're off. And it's also, it's also showing that we care about Georgia families, and I think that I think public policy of that nature is critical um, moving forward. It makes people want to work for the state because the state is working for it. So I just wanted to lift up some of the thing positive legislation, but at the same time, being a progressive, I realized that that election legislation um, was extremely problem problematic on multiple fronts, and, and it's unfortunate that it was um, adopted into law, and that's going to be used in order to allow for one party to try to maintain control as opposed to letting the electoral process take its course so besides the 30 million there's also 300 million in the american rescue plan 2.0 dollars that are i think literally i think the application round for those grants got extended to october if you're the type of organization that applies for those things um that's dedicated to broadband infrastructure uh and so that was super cool and i think i want to say the leading case for the citizens arrest repeal that former district attorney is now under indictment, right? Yeah. Yep. So it, oh. it's a, a lot has happened since then. Amen. Uh, do you wanna do you wanna congratulate yourself for uh, losing twenty plus pounds too, Joel? Oh yeah. Let me let me. You know, it's funny. You know, yes. This this um, this episode is really about us sort of kind of telling telling our listeners hey we're, we're still alive <laughs> we just haven't been doing the podcast because we've had other things happening so other than moving and celebrating my 22nd anniversary with my wife celebrating two years of working at high river south and all that um i had a health scare so i found out i was diabetic and you know what happened was i started feeling tired often in the middle of the day and then i, I didn't understand what that was and, and then I thought it maybe is because of the second round of shots I had of COVID because people react to it differently. And I went to the doctor, I did blood work. And then the next day I checked my results and saw that my glucose level was way higher than it's supposed to be. It's at the level where it should be, um, where it's supposed to be, where you're considered diabetic. So at that day, June 28, 2021, I made a dramatic shift in my life. I made sure that I was not gonna do the things that were causing me to get on the path of an early death. And I wasn't going to eat eat myself to the to the grave. So I changed my diet, started exercising, started really being serious about what I put in my body. And so far, I've lost 20 pounds since June 28, and I intend on losing about 20 more. So I go down to about 220, 
I was at 270 um, at my max. So I'm just excited about the health I have. Um, went on a, on a phenomenal hike over in Cobb County by, um, by Chattahoochee, about three mile hike. Um, and enjoyed every every moment of it just to be out there to be energetic and healthy and alive so i just want to let people know who are listening um, listen to your body if your body's telling you something go to the doctor um, get checked out because you never know what may be going on that could impact your health and your quality of life so please take take your health seriously um, the changes you have to make are not as hard as you think they will be um, I promise you, it's better to make those changes than to live with the pain that you may be causing yourself because you're unwilling to to listen to your body and go to the doctors and do something about it. So thank you for bringing that up, Chris. I really appreciate it. I'm really proud of hey, so far what's happened. That's a big deal when a lot of folks were putting on uh, quarantine pounds. Joel was losing them. So <laughs> that's something to be proud of. Uh, I think we got to plan a Los Politicos uh, hike or something. I think yeah. with Joel, I, I would be down with that. I, I'll be down with that too. I'm good I'll for be, a quick five miles, no problem. Yeah, let's do that, man. Is there some spots in Paulding County or somewhere in your district that we can yeah, go to? Silver, Com Silver Comet or you name it, we'll we'll do something. Yeah. Okay. okay. Go hit Braswell Mountain. I'll All put right, that in the show it. notes. All right, let's do it. <laughs> let's do it for Hispanic Heritage Month. Let's, let's show that Latinos like to hike too. All right, Jason. Well, number one, Latinos disproportionately love to go to like parks, state parks, national parks, general parks, nature trails. That's besides the point. Uh, Jason, tell us what you've been up to, man. Well, I mean, basically over the last several months, you know, got sworn in and started this whole senator thing. And then, you know, just balancing that between work and raising kids and just everything we've been, you know, seeing going on in the world, you know, very proud of the bill that I know Joel doesn't like with Senate Bill 202. I think I think I introduced the actually the first elections bill this this session and, you know, caught some flack from people like LeBron James. But, you know, some people are always going to be loud and not like what you do. So it is what it is. But um, so, I, you know, that's that's been a it's been a transition. Definitely just, um, you know, kind of working through that uh, the last few weeks and months and um and then you know with school starting back it's been interesting we um our schools have been open but we've had periods of time where it's been closed you know a week here and a week there so just adjusting with that and then my wife has been a, a para pro basically uh, the whole time she's been working in school basically took on being a teacher and going back to school and uh getting her master's degree right now so a lot going on in the anavatari household oh wow i didn't realize she was getting her her graduate degree too yeah, it's staying, staying pretty busy. That's how you do it, man. Stay, keep moving forward. <laughs> anyway, how does, um, speaking of kids and schools, I mean, you both have children. I do not. So I'm very curious how your uh, return to schools compare. Uh, Joel, uh, you guys oh. had a break for two weeks, APS, right? Man, let me tell you, I love it. <laughs> My son, since uh, March 2020, first of all, can we just, let me just go back. Let's just acknowledge that um, COVID is real that there are well, 700,000 people across the United States have died of COVID. There's been a significant spike due to the Delta variant. Uh, Jason, I saw a really good op-ed in the Savannah Morning News by Ron Stevens, who's a pharmacist by training. And he said, we need to do our part as Georgians. People need to get vaccinated. So I know I'm vaccinated. I know both of you gentlemen are vaccinated. Uh, my family's vaccinated. And we need to uh, we need to really encourage people to go out there. Only only four out of ten Georgians are vaccinated. That is woefully low, and that's going to hurt us in so many different ways, especially econ economically. If we want to get people back to work, let's get vaccinated. So I, I didn't want to get on my soapbox, but you know, I asked get, about your your kid going back to school. <laughs> right. So so yes. So you know how it is. Once, <laughs> as a lobbyist, I always find I got to find my opening to say what I got to say, but. Yes, I'm so glad. Since March 2020, he was he was online for school, so he missed his whole freshman year at, um, of high school, and he also missed the latter part of his eighth grade and junior high. This year, him going back to school has been so good for him, just to be able to interact with his friends, be in the classroom, really engage with teachers. I mean, just school is so important to the academic and social emotional development of young people, and I see it profoundly in the in the light is change the changes in my son so i'm so happy shout out to the aps uh, school district shout out to midtown high school former grady thank you to all the teachers and staff 
and everyone there that's trying to make sure that our children are getting the best education possible, even under the, the most challenging conditions. Jason, has it been as smooth for, for you? Yeah, well, first I'll say here, here to what Joel said. I mean, our, our teachers across the state are just, I mean, they're heroes. I mean, I, I don't know what we could ever do that's enough to say thank you. I mean, I mean, there's a lot of people in this state between first responders, et cetera, et cetera. But I think the stress our, our school teachers have been under has been crazy. We, I mean, our schools have been open, um, I mean, throughout almost the entire, entire pandemic. You know, schools willing to be flexible, uh, stay open, sometimes have to close to have, you know, some extra deep cleaning done in the schools and classrooms. But, um, you know, what, what's, what's, you know, sad, scary, just, you know, sometimes even upsetting, just, you know, the store, the stories from neighbors and friends, just um, even people who are vaccinated who are in the hospital, um, you know, even some in critical condition, it, you know, it's kind of, it's been stressful and hard to deal with. I mean, one of the guys I met early on after, um, well, before I was sworn in, kind of after uh, serves in the Polk County Sheriff's Department, Barry Henderson, he passed away. And um, I'm actually wearing one of his shirts. And, you know, his, his entire story, his wife's story, Chrissy, and just the things that they battled and seeing that community come together, you know, for someone who was, you know, was was healthy and, uh, and you know, just an awesome guy and, 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 and to succumb to, something like COVID, it, it hits you home, even if you don't even really know the person very well. And so for me, you know, I, I take it personally. Um, I, like Joel said, I am vaccinated. I, I believe it's, you know, we can have another debate about, you know, mandates another time. I, I think it's, you know, should be optional in terms of personal choice and personal responsibility. Um, but, you know, we all have to deal with best for our family. And for me, it was, you know, it's, you know, be vaccinated and, you know, just see where, where this world goes. But, you know, we can't force it on anyone, but we just got a, we got a lot of challenges we're going to see come out of this that um, will be with us for a long time. You know, I was saying I was just in New York and uh, I'm the type of guy that, you know, just had an abundance of caution, took a picture of my card. And in New York, they have a whole registry system where you present your ID and they, they, they show that you have proof uh, that's been uploaded to the New York City state data uh, or city database. Um, and they, some places it's really weird how they do it. Cause you know, it's all about consistency and enforcement, regardless of what kind of policies you put in. Some of them will wait till you walk up to the cashier and then they'll be like, oh wait, are you vaccinated? You gotta show me you're vaccinated. Some will ask you at the door. And so I realized that my vaccine card only has my first name on it. And I was in a pool hall and the guy's like, why do you only have your first name on your vaccine card? And I was like, honestly, I have no idea. Nobody's ever asked me that. He's like, all right, get in. <laughs> it's just like to think about the consistency of it all but funny anecdote uh, my last year has been very different because I took um, almost a, a, a pseudo sabbatical from my full-time consulting which traditionally revolves around a lot of our pillar Hispanic organizations and a few previously state entities and so as goes in the consulting world you know if you do a really good job for a large client uh, they'll they'll try to take you for all the possible time they can, either internally or on a full-time contract basis. And that's what happened to me. I was consulting for the Department of Family and Children's Services, and I found myself in a unique position of being a bridge builder between not just Latin American, you know, long-time generational households, but fresh immigrant households and everything in between. You know the African diaspora. You know wherever you were in the world, a lot of refugees, com refugee communities, LGBT youth, uh, Asian Americans. Like you name it. Uh, you know the DFAX is not known for its cultural competency, and just my life experience made made me a very attractive candidate for a role that they created for me. And I'm nearing the end of that project. At the end of this month, I'm I'm done. But it was a very unique time to be in the division of Ch Ch Family and Children's Services because you know there's about you know tens of thousands of kids in this in this uh, particular chunk of state government and you interact with some of the most depressing most depraved stories of individuals abusing kids but you also have some incredibly hopeful scenarios where you see families get their kids back after clawing themselves for the, from the brink of just terrible terrible situations of substance abuse of physical abuse and uh, some very heartwarming stories. So I was very fortunate, and very blessed to to be a part of that work and get that insight and, and be, I think, as far as as far as I was able to tell, 
the highest ranking uh, Hispanic individual and only bilingual individual uh, in that role ever. Um, and so it was a very educational time. And I think because of that experience, I, I'll forever be doing some type of consulting work in child welfare and advocacy. And just because it's a place seldom seen by many of us and everybody loves to talk about how we need to take care of our most vulnerable, but there are severely underpaid people to the tune of about 8,000 employees that are struggling to do the job every day. Uh, so it, it was very, very interesting. Um, part of that work led for me to be chosen again as one of the, the, the Georgia Hispanic Chamber's 50 most influential. Shout out to Jason, another, another time. Shout out to Joel for also being mentioned in the program. <laughs> yeah, so I got the I got the after I got the afterthought award. Hey, you know, you know I, I take it as Joel is already so accomplished and he's such a good friend of the chamber that you know he's not gonna mind he doesn't need it for to build his repertoire. He's already so strong with it. You know, Jason, he they had to they had to give it to him because he had to put up with all the stressors of that first time member of the state uh, senate. <laughs> well, you know, I'm good with it, man. I'm like, look, I don't need validation. The validation I need is is from from the impact I make and the work I do. That's and true. So and so, if people. So if I'm doing good work and I'm and I'm and I am, um, I could look in the mirror and say, man, Joel, you, you you know, you're doing something that's meaningful, and that's all that counts. And and my wife is the the, the great um, humbler. You know, <laughs> I think that's the word. And so. So if I'm if, if I'm, not, it is now. It is yeah. now, right? The humbler, it's, right? So we're gonna put that in the in the Lost Paul's glossary, humbler, oh. and uh, and so we will. So you know, she will let me know if I'm getting too big, and she let me know when I need to get bigger. So um, so I'm good, man. <laughs> in summary, Joel needs no awards to flex his fame. There you go. Uh, but uh, as as far as uh, me now, after this year, uh, I'm going back to consulting. Maybe maybe some big opportunities in uh, to to do some subcontracting with some of the bigger players. You never know. Uh, but uh, it was really a, it was really a step up for me uh, to to take a senior leadership role so that I can you know make my baby steps and grow to be closer to the type of men here that are on this podcast with me with Joel and Jason that are much more accomplished that have been leaders in various positions. I mostly don't supervise people. I haven't really led, I haven't been a director. So this was my first literal director level role. So I've got some exciting things that I might share later on, but uh, for now I'm trying to, uh, just trying to wind down and go on my goodbye tour and cement those relationships that I started for the agency. But Chris, can we at least, I mean, I don't want to sound like I'm, I'm salty, First of all, congratulations to both of you for getting it again. You, both, you definitely are influential leaders in the Latino community, and they definitely made the right decision. And just shout out to everybody who made the list. It's so, you know, there's so many Absolutely. people get nominated. Nominated. I know it's hard for them to kind of figure out who should be uh, receive the award. There's so many Latinos. I think that's a great thing to say, right? That there's so many Latinos that are emerging as leaders in the state that is making it harder for the chamber to choose just 50. So those 50 who received the award, I'm sure it was well earned, uh, justified, uh, validated, and just, you know, there's just so many phenomenal Latinos just doing incredible work in different spaces. And I just wanna make sure they know that we see them and we appreciate the work they put in every day. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, there there's always a, a lot of nominations and it's a good mix of people that we know. And then there's some people that we don't know, but that's the point. Um, it's a conversation we have often, like, you know, there's, a, there's, a, there's a few of us that either everybody knows or we show up to everything pre pre pandemic. And then there's people, there are people silent and very, very effective community leaders that just, they just do their work and they, they change lives and nobody realizes. That's right. So That's right. we, um, moving on to the next segment. Let's do it. Let's do it. So this is, as those of you who listen to us, we talk, we always have a segment called what's on our political mind or what's on your political mind now and so usually when we have a guest we'll ask them what's on his or her political mind and we ask each other what's what's on our political mind um i'll start it off you know um i guess we're in hispanic heritage month so for a month people i guess are more interested in latinos in america and and, and in the hemisphere than they are in the other 11 months and that's fine. 
Um, you know, we, we want to get them up to where we are 12 months out of the year. There you go. Every day I'm, li I'm living Hispanic Heritage Month. Every day <laughs> I am, I'm, I'm acknowledging those before me and I'm, and I'm trying to work with those who will come after me. Right. And so just for people, for some background, um, you know, 1968, um, that's when Hispanic Heritage Month began as Hispanic Heritage Week, actually. And then 20 years later, in 1988, it was signed into a law um, under the uh, Reagan administration. And so it starts at September 15th and is October 15th. The reason for that, and that probably sounds really odd to people because within that time period, there was so many different holidays um, that, uh, that impact Latin Americans from various countries throughout the hemisphere. So uh, September 15th, there were several Central American countries that were celebrating um, Independence Day, right? That's right. We just had that party with uh, the combined Central Americans like Honduras, Guatemala, El Salvador. They just had a party this past, uh, actually yesterday, they had a combined event. Absolutely. So so, so different uh, different celebrations that are occurring during, this, during these 30 days. So that's why they decided to do it from September 15, October 15. And I guess for me, it's always a um, interesting time because it's when people want to hear from us more so than other times. But I guess what I'm really interested in my political mind is like, okay, how do we leverage Hispanic Heritage Month in order to ensure that our political interests are being heard, that we are exercising our rights and that we are that we are letting people know directly and concretely on the issues and concerns that are most prescient in our community. I mean, there's just so many challenges that we are facing and there's so many opportunities that are available. We just gotta make sure that the right people, the decision makers are hearing us. And we also gotta make sure that they're, just, they're not just hearing us during these 30 days, but even beyond these 30 days that they are, um, that they're fully aware and they're working with us as a community in order to ensure that um, our interests are being recognized and our interests are being addressed. Yeah, I like to think of it like each each like month that exists out there for, for a group or a community as like the highlight reels month. It's like, what, what's everybody been up to for the last 12 months? What's good? And then it's like, <laughs> oh, check it out. Yeah, and I think it's good because I mean, for forums, like, I mean, the whole reason we created this podcast, I think Joel kind of going back to what you're saying is, I mean, it's really kind of, talk about these issues and, and have some banter and debate and discussion in terms of, you know, where, where all of our views may be either, you know, mixed together, disagree, agree, but to create more forums like this to have, to have some, of, some of these debates, not just the political and policy, but I think, you know, where culture kind of meets the South, so. Absolutely. And, you know, the census just came out and it's continually showing that Latinos are growing exponentially throughout the United States, especially in the Southeast, right? So we are a major population and, and we need to ensure that we insert ourselves that for too long, the, the, the South has been very binary when it comes to race, right? White, black, white, black. And then Latinos for a long time had to figure out which, which group would they occupy, right? So now we have to kind of carve out our own space. But even beyond that, uh, just an interesting fact. Do you know that um, in 2000, 1 million Latinos self-identified as Afro-Latino, but in 2020, it, it rose to 2.4 million, right? And, and so that's important to me because as you both know that I really uh, embrace and I really try to um, support my being um, Afro-Latino and really try to put it out there that I'm both Black and Latino and, and proud of that, celebrates that. And and by the way, CNN Digital uh, did an article on me. It should be coming out soon and we'll make sure it's on the website, um, lostpoliticals.net, uh, once, it, once it posts uh, about sort of my life living as a Black Latino in, 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 in the South. Um, he talk about my father and sort of how he saw himself being a black Latino. Then he mm. interviewed my son, who's 16. Oh, so how does he, he see himself? So they try to look at the three generations uh, regarding, you know, self-identity. So it should be a really interesting piece. That does sound cool. And so just, you know, when it gets out there, you know, we'll definitely get it out also on our on our Instagram account for Los Politicos. But, you know, it's a time for reflection. It's a time for observation. It's also a time for action. So I'm hoping that people will really focus on that third part is don't let Hispanic heritage months go by where all you're doing is 
is the bomba and salsa and eating, you know, empanadas and stuff like that <laughs> and enjoying the culture. Make sure that you, you that you also doing some action for the betterment of our community. Yeah, and I want to add to that, um, you know, the census talk where, you know, the, the category of being multiracial or other, the whole, the mixing, the blending, the, the melting pot of America seemed to have um, to grow. And, and part of that was because, you know, the census was, was made with that distinction this time. And I still remember, you know, in previous years, you know, everybody's like, oh, well, are you Latino, Hispanic, non-white? You know, it, and it's like there's a bunch of modifiers that sound weird on the census. And um, and I'd really, I mean, I would just put it was like, yeah, I'm Hispanic, Latino, other, or because you know, you know, the, the the whiteness of Latin America is a, is a, is a is a very nuanced thing, full full of racism, classism, and, and all the isms that you can imagine. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then for those of us that really know have, have you know either you know uh, forsaken our privacy or decided to delve into one of the many DNA tests that are out there. Uh, which I did for 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 conversational purposes, and it served me so well. You know, I when I fill that out, I will you know I put Latino and then I put or Hispanic, and I put Indigenous and European because after getting my DNA test, it's like well you're like 51, 52 percent Spanish Portuguese, 40 something percent Indigenous Central American, I like three point sub something Sub-Saharan African, and one percent Ashkenazi Jew, and I was like yes we we are in in what's the the, the crazier part is genotype uh, or the expression of like the color of your skin and your features does not necessarily denote your DNA heritage. You can just that's randomly true. have like features and skin tones that are highly expressed. That That's probably maybe an, a whole nother topic that right. know, the self-identification well, of Hispanic people in America. Well, maybe next month we could have that conversation. <laughs> maybe with the census guy. Yeah. With the Yeah. Yeah. So go. so once we lock that down, that'll be, that'll be I think that's one of the questions we want to ask because I hear you. I. Jason, did you do your um? You ever done your DNA before? No, I haven't done the DNA before. I've I've, I've scoped out most of my tree, but I've not done the DNA. You should and do that, that. That would be interesting. And yeah, if you, you want to avoid the privacy stuff, there's a company that I got to know uh, in Gwinnett when I was working with Partnership Gwinnett for a few months uh, called Akisogen, and they'll they run the tests for like the major like I think for 23andMe, they'll charge you more, but they they won't sell your data to anybody afterwards. Because I did it too, and and so I'm like 34% African, 13% Indigenous, and the rest is is Southern Spain, Mediterranean area, um, and just just sort of it's a Mediterranean area. So I'm thinking like Granada, you know, Southern Southern Spain. Um, I don't know which side of the Mediterranean Sea, but <laughs> you know, nonetheless, um, it just. I think I think everybody, if you get a chance, should do that because I think we realized um, a lot of truth come out when you when you do your DNA test. There's things about you that you don't realize that you're like, wow, I did not know that about myself. But, I knew <laughs> I, I, I probably had a, a, a significant amount of African DNA, but there are people out there who probably who probably look at the DNA test and say, wait, I'm I'm what? <laughs> and you know, and that's important. But then people need to realize, man, race is a social construct. It's not. It's, there's nothing scientific about it, man. You know, it's just yep. used to it's used to divide people, not bring people together. So, um, anyway, Jason, I hope one day you you get your DNA done, and then you can uh, you can share it on on um, on a future yeah. podcast. Yeah, let's talk about it because I, I mean I know I can trace my tree my family back to the late 1700s in Spain. So Vizcaya, you know, back to when when the I guess sort of today, you know, the church still runs everything over in Spain, mm-hmm. but, um, but, you know, kind of back to those days, but, I, but I think it'd be a good exercise. Maybe we can, we, we all can talk about it. Yeah. Somewhere. I think that'd be a good one for the, for the, when we, I believe we will have a census, uh, a leading expert on the census, uh, as a guest in the near future. Mm-hmm. Working on it. Jason, you, I, we got you down for the state of the economy. <laughs> <laughs> wow, I'm, not, I'm totally not dressed for that. Let me let me go and put in a jacket. <laughs> well, well, unfortunately, Joel, you don't need to put on a jacket. I mean, you might as well give Joe Biden your jacket with the way the, the economy has been going right now. Oh, um, that was a stretch. Yeah, that was a stretch. Sorry, man. Yeah, was, yeah. Yeah. But um, yeah, my I mean, what's on my mind right now is just literally is just the year over year uh, rate of inflation that is just creating all of these supply chain meltdowns that we're seeing in so many industries and so many sectors 
the workforce shortages that seem to be getting worse every single week. Um, you know, a lot of businesses um, kind of teeter tot starting to teeter totter, I think, and whether they're going to survive. And I think we got as a state and, and as a nation, we need to start really having, I think, some really intentional conversations about how we're going to get more people to work. But also too, just, you know, the reporting that was even out today about just, you know, the inflation issues just not going away anytime soon. So we start, you know, seeing the increase of prices and food and we're already seeing it with automobiles and, um, you know, the, the cost of uh, just, you know, rent and everything else that's out there that impacts so many families. Um, and when we see our supply chains melt down and we can't even get basic foods, um, you know, or, or things in the, in the, you know, through the trucking industry and things like that, um, to various different communities. I mean, the, the breakdown, it, it's real. And I know in my district, we're, we're feeling it right now um, in so many ways. So I, I we just, you know, I, not today, but I think we need to spend some time just kind of diving into, you know, kind of what's really going on and how do, how do we fix this going forward? So I, I think a lot of this is, you know, just to be blunt, I, th I think it is President Biden's problem. And um, just a lot of the things were, I think while we're seeing so many of these debates over infrastructure and everything else and the cost of it, and whether it's just going to literally cascade the inflation um, challenges that we have as a country, but um, it's real and it's it ain't nothing to be messing with. We we need to get this figured out. So, you know, I'm uh, you keep trying to take uh, digs at <laughs> at the president, <laughs> like you it's know, really like, hard right now. <laughs> I'm like, I mean, but as if he's, I mean, as if he, it's so funny, you know, just we all. We all uh, we, we're both guilty of it. Where you try to um, you want to put the there's a phenomena going on. You want to put the onus on someone, right? And it's a little more. I think it's a little more complicated than that. Just to say, <laughs> just to say, oh, it's Biden's fault. And, and that's and to be honest with you, we Democrats did the same thing, right? We would say, oh, it's Trump's fault. But that was mostly true. Um, but um, <laughs> hey, the economy. <laughs> Greatest economy we ever saw, though. It did well. That's I don't know. Easy. That's debate. That's debatable. <laughs> but uh, I think the I think the the issue is COVID, and the in the challenge is that COVID really brought forth a lot of truth that were hidden in the day to day lives that we were living. Right. We, you know, one of the things that workers realize is that there was certain certain quality of life they want to enjoy, and so employers going to have to figure out, man, how do we. This, this employee has enjoyed uh, being able to take his or her child to school, um, has enjoyed, um, you know, have to have a, a, a work, a work um, play type of, of work, um, personal, a professional, personal sort of balance that they never had before. This idea of going into the office or working in nine to five, I mean, they just, it's just certain quality of life that people have enjoyed and they might not necessarily want to jump back into the nine to five. So employees got to figure out, um, okay, this new employee wants something different. Am I capable of offering that? Right. And, and how does that happen? And then unfortunately, many of the jobs in the supply chain, Jason, folks don't want to work, right? People might not necessarily want to be a CVL driver. They might not necessarily want to work on the line. They might not necessarily want to work in a poultry plant or they want to work in um, in other other jobs that they may consider um, not as glamorous, right? But they pay very well, but they just don't seem as glamorous and they're so necessary. It's interesting, um, was it last week I went to Dalton State College to attend a house study committee on on global talent and getting global talent, which is a nice way for Republicans to say immigrants, right? Um, and and so, but I'm glad that y'all having the conversation that you realize that we need we need global talent, we need immigrant labor to come in, um, do a legal process in order to ensure that um, many many of the jobs that we take for granted, many of the services we take for granted, are, are being worked at at a high and professional level. I mean, all the positive things that they were saying about immigrants, especially Latinos, regarding how we're hardworking, how we, you know, we care about family. It's good that people are realizing um, that now. And I hope that um, we find a way where we can get more people working these critical jobs. But these are essential jobs, Jason, as you know, for our for our day to day existence. You know, people think that you go to Whole Foods or Publix and you get what you want and sometimes somehow they magically appear. 
and you and I both know, and Chris knows as well, that's not the case. Somebody has to grow it, somebody has to pick it, somebody has to pack it, somebody has to ship it, and then somebody has to unpack it, and somebody has to present well, it to you for you to purchase it. Hold on, hold on. Let me let me get my piece because I'm gonna sacrifice my my political mind thing for the rest of this to oh, unfold no. because so because I I I think I'm a little closer to some of the people that that have talked about not going back to traditional jobs or the jobs they held before just because I'm 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 not much younger but I don't have any kids and I still have a bit of a bachelor lifestyle so you know it's very interesting to see some of my friends especially the the younger ones and my brother's friends that are like in their late 20s mid 20s you know talk about what's happening you know with number one I th I think there you know there's a complexity about deciding who gets who gets these um, these stimulus payments and uh, whatever administration, whether Trump's or Biden's, is issuing the checks, they had, <laughs> they tacitly acknowledge that they have no idea to qualify who needs it and who doesn't. Because there's been two Americas. Either you have maintained your income flow or you have not. And that is a, is a bona fide fact that has led into, I think, exacerbating, serving as a catalyst for the misallocation of skills to jobs and you know, human resources firms and, and companies failing to create pipelines of, of, of employees, and and honestly, you know, adjusting pay, which is one. You know, now that I'm leaving Defax, I can talk to you about how, for decades, Defax has acknowledged internally that they're not paying employees enough, and it's difficult to get that out in a constructive fashion when the state legislature decides your your budget and your salaries, and which leads to record amounts of turnover. In, in a very sensitive area. And the same has happened now and bled over across a multitude of sectors, which is causing even, even people with jobs to go into what they're calling the mass resignation. People my right. age that are all qualified, they're just like, oh, I was working 90 hours a week to make 100 grand. It was a well-paying job, but I was killing myself. But I think the same could be said for some folks earning lower wages and work, doing backbreaking work that they're kind of waiting to see where the dust settles when mm -hmm. the payments stop and when the economy returns to any sense of normalcy. And it's 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 very confusingly patterned on the other end when we get uh, articles like, you know, Georgia ends fiscal year with record $3.2 billion jump in revenue in tax collections when there are so many people that uh, that aren't working. But it means that other people are, are collecting even more revenue. So it's... um. It's messy. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I think we're in the era. I mean, I, I, I really believe we're in an economic paradigm shift. I mean, I think we, we are witnessing the era of, you know, I mean, uh, you know, uh, us conservatives that believe in personal responsibility. I mean, th this is this is the height at the, the heightened awareness of. I think where where do we go? I mean, one of the things I've noticed in the trucking industry in particular is because of truck drivers, trucking companies being, you know, basically being priced out um, between that and, you know, shortages in parts to fix trucks that are sitting on, you know, in, in, in shops 80 at a time that can't move product. Um, and, if, and, if I'm a, and if I'm a truck driver and I have my own truck or maybe I have a couple trucks, I mean, the trucking industry is a family industry. Typically a husband and a wife will, will travel wherever they go as a team you know, moving product. And, you know, they're, for, for those that are almost in retirement, they can't afford it. So what are they doing? They're parking their trucks and they're going and driving, signing up to be Amazon delivery drivers in neighborhoods in these Amazon vans you see all around our different communities because of the quality of life. It's stable, but it's creating this huge gap that I think we're seeing. But the gap is, not, is only going to widen. Um, I don't think it's, it's something necessarily that's going to uh you know the government can actually fix but i think we have to reduce the regulatory barriers where it makes sense i think to make things a little bit better for for these businesses so we, you know we can get back to a little bit better situation than we're in but um but i, but I think we're we're in a, we're in a little bit of a paradigm shift you know more, more than any of us have seen in our lifetime and you know I, I think that's even even worse than what we saw under president carter <laughs> Oh, I love Jason, boy. He just, he's quick with the jabs, man. Hey, Joel, Joel's old enough to remember President Carter. <laughs> I am. I do remember President. I didn't vote for him, but I know my parents did. Um, you know, and so I think that uh, also we might need to start 
being honest with ourselves regarding our economy. We want to hold on to what we have, but you know, variables come into play that change how we do things, right? And and so we have to be courageous enough to say, you know what? What may have worked in the 20th, 20th century may not work in the 21st century. And and it's like it's sort of like the blockbuster, you know. That was like uh, Marco Rubio. <laughs> yeah, he didn't work in the 20th century. He didn't work in the 21st century either. You're right about that. Um, the, uh, it's like <laughs> so. It's like the it's just like the um, the blockbuster syndrome, right? You know how blockbuster was the biggest, baddest thing on the block, right? Yeah. Then something like Netflix came along, some little store that I mean, little company that that was you could would home deliver a DVD. Then all of a sudden they started streaming. Then all of a sudden blockbuster went on the wayside, right? Um, like turtles. Borders. Oh, <laughs> I have a perfect example. I was having this conversation two days ago at a party, my brother's birthday party. And we, he had, so he works in tech and fashion. You know, his, one of his uh, initial funders is Alexis Ohanian, co-founder of Reddit, otherwise known as uh, Serena Williams' husband. You know, the, you know, he works heavy tech space. And, um, and so they have a friend that basically has made a virtual um, a virtual country club. They curate a community, a set of experiences, yeah, unique access to certain digital goods, whether they're at, you know NFTs, if folks know what non-fungible tokens are, like a way to create ownership for digital uh, like artistry and goods. And um, and and you know, we we kind of talked about how there's a whole generation of people that are coming, some very brilliant and just some very creative kids basically especially compared to me and definitely compared to jason and, and joel that they have found a way to create wealth in the way that people with multiple millions hundreds of millions billions of dollars that are investing and buying up things they find value in these digital goods and services and this value never existed before and it actually serves to create a flow of economy again to make money move from the people that are hoarding it to the people that are producing something. Now, not everything is going to be a ephemeral digital good, but there's going to be a ton of stuff that people never expected that you were going to pay for. And there is a bunch of stuff that we've probably been paying for that no one will continue paying for after a certain amount of time. Like we pay for water, right? So if we could pay for water, we could pay for anything. I mean, it is what it is, but I, but, I think just kind of going back to the purpose of Los Politicos, right? We just want to show that we as Latinos have, we think about things like this. We're having conversations like this. These are the conversations we have, we would have amongst one another, even if we weren't on a podcast, right? We we text each other, we call each other, we, we're at the state capital, we're having these conversations. But we're hoping that more Latinos will be willing to have these types of conversations to showcase their breadth and scope of their ideas and their beliefs and, and ensure that they're, they're they're creating space so that they themselves can have these types of conversations. Join us for a conversation, Join work with one another to develop spaces to have conversations. End of the day, Latinos are in the South, we're here to stay and we have something to say and we wanna make sure that we're being heard. So thanks to everybody who's willing to listen to us. Thanks to everybody who supported us. Thanks for everybody who's been waiting for us to, to, uh, to resume our podcast again. Um, social media has been really positive regarding the, um, our announcement of starting it up again. And I look forward to uh, having even more and richer dialogues with my two friends, uh, Chris and Jason, who I really care about immensely. And glad that we're able to do this together. Absolutely. Um, Jason, any closing words? Yeah, I just want to say it was great to get back together again and you know, look forward to getting back together again sooner than later. Yeah, absolutely. It's always fun. And, you know, we kind of get into the zone um, off script, but the script just kind of helps us get get our thoughts together, make sure we don't forget anything. Um, we've got some very interesting guests lined up. Uh, we don't know what the schedule is, but, you know, we already alluded to our, uh, a well-known expert in, inside uh, the census world. And uh, of course, uh, Joel, do you want to do you want to plug the mayoral for him? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm just I'm really excited. Um, I've been doing this long enough where I've, I've seen a lot of things come and go. And one thing I've, I have never seen in my 20 years of working in this space is a, an Atlanta mayoral candidate forum that focuses on Latino issues. So with that being said, um, the firm I work for, High River South, we're partnering with the Latin American Association, 
with Georgia Hispanic Chamber of Commerce, uh, Telemundo Atlanta, and the National Center for Civil Human Rights to hold a, a forum we're calling um, Dialogue Atlanta. Uh, say it in Spanish for me, Chris, you know my Spanish. Dialogo. Thank you, Dialogo Atlanta. Um, I got to work on that. I know I need to go to LA and get some Spanish classes, but nonetheless. Or to the um, LAA. Yes, the <laughs> LA. Right, absolutely. So it's uh, October 5th from 4 to 6 p.m. at the National Center for Civil Human Rights. Um, our friend Yvonne Chamas from uh, General Manager of Telemundo Atlanta will be the moderator. And just we're really excited to put Latinos in the forefront during Hispanic Heritage Month with where the conversation about these, from these mayoral candidates will be about Latinos and Latino related issues in the city. It's important to know that um, we are a part of the city and both of you guys know that Latinos may not make a large percentage of the population, but we know that uh, each of the last two um, mayoral elections were less than a thousand votes between the victor and the loser. And so there's about maybe like 4,000 registered Latinos in in the city of Atlanta. So that number right there could be instrumental in regards to um, who becomes the next mayor of the city of Atlanta. So yeah, we wish we could go back three years and do a recount, man. <laughs> Are you talking about in the last mayoral election? Well, I think probably need one in Paulding County. I, I don't know what the hell they would think about over there. <laughs> uh, uh, our crime rate's a lot different than the city of Atlanta, but I, di I digress. Well, there's only five people that live in Paulding County, so yeah, that's, wow. that's true. <laughs> Wait, what is the actual population of Paulding County? It's, it's near. It's getting close to two hundred thousand. Hey, that's that's a, wow. that's a that's a city right there. Yes, yeah, that's. that's that's big. Okay. So, so uh, we might, can keep. You might have sidewalks bickering. now. <laughs> Damn. Uh, so, all right. So that that's. Um, I think that's going to be it for us today. We just kind of wanted to say what's up, let you know that we're back and what we've been up to, and we've got some hosts and some regular programming coming up. So that's a wrap. Gracias por su atención. Thanks for listening. And you can always find out more about us or check out the past episodes on www.lospoliticos.net. And you can find us wherever your favorite podcasts are found, including Spotify, Google, and Apple Podcasts. So um, until next time, hasta la próxima.